Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. And so today I'm talking to Tom Simmons uh, about a subject I'm particularly interested in. We've had a number of people um, in the subject before talking about men's mental health and suicide and anxiety but particularly relating to man men in fact and um tom's here to talk about something similar today and um, i'm really looking forward to it because i think this is a subject that we under talk about and i think it needs more exposure so i'm delighted to welcome tom simmons to resilience and ravel today hiya tom hi russell hi russell how you doing i'm good so tell me um how would you describe what it is you do in the world what do I do in the world? Um, well, professionally, I'm a, a sales director for a, um, an events company that runs Events in America. But um, I guess personally, and I guess what I'm keen to talk about today is uh, this um, platform I've built called Fellows with Feelings, which is basically something that I felt compelled to provide on the back of um, my battle with anxiety, depression, the last five, five or six years. Um, I felt that when I was in um, the dark time and that I was for as long as I was, I didn't know where to turn to, who to turn to. And I just felt lost. I really did feel lost. And um, there was not, there wasn't a resource that I found that just helped inspire me to understand what uh, methods and practices were out there that you could potentially employ alongside medication um, to help make you feel better and, and um, get you returning to, you know, into, into better health. So yeah. that's really what kind of drove the inspiration behind it because um, there was nothing out there and I, and I felt like um, there was a big gap to, to fill. Okay, interesting. Um, arguably, there's never been more help and it's interesting that um, it's interesting you weren't able to access it. So um, I'm quite interested to, to sort of unpack that if, if you don't mind. So yeah, sure. so tell me, so tell me your story then. So how did you? So you're obviously talking about your own particular situation. So mm. talk, walk me through it from the beginning. How did so it start? Yeah, sure. So I, I was, um, I basically, um, it's, it's, I guess it's it's been actually. Um, present since a very young age um i think it might be worth just giving you the backstory before it, it then kind of went into kind of diagnosed kind of clinical uh, anxiety depression because when i was younger i used to get night terrors i had them from about seven to 12 years old which is obviously a, a huge form of anxiety because i was scared of the night and what was in it and all these different yeah. noises that were in the house and then 
when I went to school, I was incredibly insecure in the sense of, um, you know, I, I was always very conscious about what I wore, what I said, the people I was with, you know, every, every um, thing in my environment, I was kind of I'd really um, hone in on uh, into kind of an obsessive level. And then I went to university and um, took up some very unhealthy habits, um, probably partied more than I should have done. And, um, and yeah, I know, I know. And I guess that's very typical of that, of that kind of age. Um, and I know a lot of people can tolerate it and they're fine. But in my case, I, I probably took it a bit too far and I ended up yeah. giving myself two significant health scares. One came in the form of atrial fibrillation when I was 20, um, which is basically a heart arrhythmia, yeah. uh, which is obviously common, more common with people who are much older. And then a couple of months later, I got, I got diagnosed with cancer. Um, so I got like a double health whammy, yeah. which was, which hit me hard because when you're 20, you think you're invincible. You think you can't, you're unstoppable. And yeah. suddenly you're faced with this new reality that you've got these two health scares and everything flips on its head. So I, yeah. that's when the anxiety and the mental health came about. Yeah. And that's, a, you would imagine, is a normal reaction. Mm, exactly. Exactly. And I think they both, particularly the heart rhythmia, really the emotion that came on the back of that, I think, was an app, that all that internal insecurity that I've been building up throughout my childhood, I think, just provided this huge outlet where that heart rhythmia came and then my health was compromised and suddenly I just became an anxious wreck. I, I mean, I developed extreme health anxiety. I was having daily panic attacks very irritable, um, chest tightness, um, just, I mean, wasn't sleeping properly. I mean, you name it, I was going yes. through it. So yes. it's pretty and grim. So, and so, um, and so how did people help you when you were a child? What, what was the sort of, what seemed to be the approach when you were younger to all of this, the night terrors and such like, what, how did you find that? <laughs> I spent half the time in my parents' bed, which they must have been so annoyed about. <laughs> Uh, and they probably gave me more time than they should have done they should have just kicked me out the door but they were too kind um because um and i think it was partly separation anxiety i think um you know i just wanted that security and i don't know it's weird because i did a i did speak to someone the other day and they asked a similar question and i i do find it interesting because my mum seems to think it's um, separation anxiety but i was just incredibly i just had this this irrational narrative going round and round in my head that was provoked by the fear of the dark and these noises that I thought were burglars and all just this just irrational stuff which I guess you know a lot of anxiety is irrational it's 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 um fear of the unknown and you know dramatizing all these situations which is you know the reality is if you did have the rational head on and you didn't have that anxiety you just wouldn't think twice about it but that's the <laughs> that's the frustrating thing about anxiety so that's a difficult one, Russell. Um, I think it probably was a, a culmination of a few things. But, um, but, 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 but how were you helped? Because actually one of the criticisms is that um, people get on a fast track to become, um, how can I describe it, without being implicitly incorrect. Um, <laughs> it's that they become professionally hooked into a service where you know, it becomes, you become a, a, almost on a treadmill of a particular type of mental, medical, and social care. Yeah. So I just wonder if you went through that, you know, went through the whole of the, the NHS mental no. health or did you avoid all that? I, yeah, I did. I did, uh, particularly at my younger age, because I think you, it could just be, a, you know, a me growing up and trying to get my head around life. You know, I think that can be quite common. But 
I guess towards my later ages, when I hit university, that definitely became more of a topic. I, I, the, the thing was, though, is I was very, I was very mindful of the stigma when, when you start taking, when you do therapy and, and um, antidepressants, there is definitely a stigma with that. I know it's a lot better now, but um, I did everything I could in, initially to try and help myself before taking, going down that route. And with hindsight, I would have gone about it a lot differently and would have, would have just dismissed the stigma and just thought about my health. But um, that was my approach initially anyway. Okay. And so you reached the stage where you were facing the twin perils of heart condition effectively and the cancer diagnosis. Um, I'm, a, I'm guessing that you found help and treatment for those things. Yeah. That was, that's a sort of ready source. I mean, I've had cancer and you, 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 there's a lot of help. There's a lot of help available. There's a lot of support. It's almost like, ah, yes, we know that one. Here's the track, bosh, off you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I'm guessing the same with the arrhythmia as well. It's some similar sort of thing. Oh, yes, oh, that's something we can actually give you or cut out or <laughs> right. massage away or whatever it might be. Those, those sorts yeah. of physical therapy, those sort of physical treatments seem to be fine, don't they? I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I mean, they're not fine. They're not great to go through. But I'm, get, I'm, I'm hoping you found that there was a course of treatment available to you for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And funny you mentioned that because if I, if I had to pick going through the anxiety in the way I did versus the cancer, I'd pick the cancer every time because for what you mentioned there, it's tangible, it's physical. It's like, right, I've got this diagnosis and there's, there's this treatment which will then cure you know which and you can kind of see the cure right when yeah. with mental health you, it's so complex and nuanced um there isn't necessarily a cure <coughs> and, and, so, and so we start with this main problem which is a self-diagnosis really isn't it so you mm. you rock up to the doctors uh you say hey this is how i what i'm going through and they say ah okay let me open my textbook Mm. And they blow the, blow the cobras off it in many cases, don't they? And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they say, aha, we've got a pill for that. Um, was that your experience? Or did that, again, was that, am I over-characterizing that? Thing? Well, I mean, it, it was latterly because I kind of had no other option. I basically, it was about 15, 16 months ago where I just fell into full-blown depression. And, and we sat down as a family thinking, like, what choice do we have? And um, I ended up taking um, sertraline, uh, which has been great. It has been great, but I just, I just wanted to do everything I could to avoid that route because I do feel like through what I've learned now, I do feel like mental health, well, my view is it's basically not a, it's an imbalance of your lifestyle. You know, in my case, I was drinking too much, living too hedonistically, just taking life for granted. And it was, I, can look, I can look back and there was definitely things I was doing that weren't conducive to a healthy mindset or definitely not setting me up for a healthy mindset. And mm -hmm. I definitely think now that whilst antidepressants and those types of drugs can be great for so many people, don't get me wrong. I do feel like it kind of cheats people actually, have, actually, uh, actually having to make a lifestyle change. You know, Good. you know, it, I do think people try and avoid or do everything they can to, to take the easy option so that they can live their lifestyle like they were before right and clearly i think in most cases i'm not you know i can't say it's for everyone but clearly whatever they're doing isn't working for their health because you know mental health is inflammation of the body but in the brain right um so yeah um so that was this, my view it's yeah. interesting the way you described it you almost described it as a punishment for a hedonistic lifestyle or are you saying it's a it was just a, an inevitable outcome for you 
yeah, I, I probably would put it as a punishment. I was mm. treating life, I was taking life for granted. And mm. I, I say, I think that about my cancer, whenever I mention my cancer to people, you know, is that oh, when you ever you mention that C word, people kind of like, they kind of seize up and, oh my God, you know, and I don't ever expect sympathy because I, I take the view that, you know, we always talk about metabolism in the sense of um, digesting food properly, but I think you can metabolize experiences. And I was metabolizing the wrong experiences, which was obviously going to give me the um, poor health outcomes. Um, and, you know, I was playing, I was playing with fire and, you know, unfortunately I got it wrong and <laughs> whatever outer being or whatever it was that, um, that kind of um, sparked the, the um, growth for the cancer or the problem for the heart. Um, <laughs> I mean, didn't like what I was getting up to. So mm. I, I do, I do. Funnily enough, Ross, I do see it as a punishment, which I guess is probably a bit of a weird thing. But yes, well, it's a thing. It's yeah. up to you whether it's up to you whether you decide to say it as weird or not. So, yeah. um, so, um, so, what source, what sources of help did you find, which were about at that time when you started looking around? Um, so I started looking at, I guess, more holistic ways of helping improve my mental health. So I've now do a lot of breath work. Uh, which I guess I know a lot of throws a lot of people because it's like what we breathe anyway how can you how can breath work help but um the last 13 months that's been a huge part of my life um changing my diet has been massive good um what else prioritizing my sleep and coming up with new ways that I can approach making sure I get better sleep you know exercise it's all the classic things we hear all the time but um um, it's just prioritizing them I think before they were just kind of second um second uh priority and now it's kind of forefront of mind and i made significant sacrifice and significant compromise on a number of things i gave up drinking so i've been sober now 15 months um and i just kind of thought i'm going to throw everything at it i literally thought i'm going to do everything i can to try and make as much progress as i can and it's been a huge i've seen a huge lifestyle change and i've seen a huge change in myself and all sorts of areas it's been (laughs) it's been a it's been yeah very interesting in all sorts of ways yes and um interesting so you obviously want to talk about the fact that it's sort of different for guys Mm. and and i agree with you but not everybody would so so tell me so tell me about that well I, i think it's fair to say women they find it easier to be more open about their feelings. I think that's a fa- fairly reasonable thing to say. Um, I think with men, it's it's more about, you know, sport and chewing the fat over a couple of pints and kind of avoiding all the feeling stuff because it's kind of seen as um, a weakness. It's kind of seen as a bit wet. You know, it's, it's not cool. You don't talk about feelings within men. And I think that's, I think that's, um, a, you know, a real shame and clearly causing a lot of issue because, of, because a lot of men below 40 are dying from suicide and you can only assume that a lot of that must be because they don't feel like they can talk about you know when they're stressed with work or family pressures or whatever it might be they don't have an outlet you know it's not like i think particularly with older generations as well i think my age group um so younger generations are kind of waking up to that and realizing that we've that's got to change but i think anything over 35 40 it's it's problematic i think it's really problematic um so you know it's that man up grow some, you know, grow some balls, you know, all these classic kind of um, phrases that we hear. And, you know, I was, I went to a, an all boys school growing up and, you know, it was very, <laughs> very prevalent then. And, you know, it definitely helped with character building, but um, there was, I'm sure there was a lot of boys 
around me that really struggled with that because they just weren't that way inclined. So, so yeah. Yeah. And you're saying it's okay for guys to have those conversations. Yeah, I think it should be. Yeah. I think it, I think men should feel okay to cry. Men should feel okay to talk openly about the hit and feel. They should, I think that should be a normal. Should, I think we should be proud to be in touch with our feminine side. I think being, um, you know, being emotional and just being vulnerable around how we feel, I think is really healthy. I really think that's healthy. Um, other men might disagree, um, but I know from setting up this page I have on Instagram and speaking to as many men that I do, I, I always get comments and feedback stating just how, how refreshing it is. And I see a number of, there's all sorts of accounts popping up as well that are similar to mine. And I think it's brilliant. The more men that do speak out and do try and normalize the um, mental health uh, subject within the male domain, I think is such a great and refreshing thing. Yes. But it's also important, I think, not to over-genderize or stereotype some of those things, isn't it? Because actually it's not about your feminine side or, you know, because you're characterizing it that way because you're getting into a whole gender debate, which is very confusing these days. But what you're saying actually is okay for guys to talk about feelings, okay for guys to cry if they need to. It's okay for guys to emote and to express themselves appropriately. And it's, yeah. it's been my experience over my, my life as a, as a therapist and such like that. Guys are, are great at talking about feelings, great talking about emotions, but you have to get them into the context, the right context, the right place, which is different to the way some, for example, women communicate. And I think that's part mm. of the issue, isn't it? It's, um, I remember talking to um, Frank, Frank Rich, who's a very famous um, um, suicide practitioner over in the States. And he said, if you want to get two guys to talk about anything to do with feelings, just make sure they don't look at each other and they have no problems. And, it, and it's, a, it's an interesting characteristic if you ever see that working. If you see a man and a woman talking together, if you don't look at each other, men can talk about it. Women can't. Sorry, men can talk then, but it's, it affects women negatively. So it's, a, it's a quite an interesting context, isn't it? About It's not that we have a problem doing it. It might be the, the context of the way or the way we talk about feelings and emotions. Maybe that feminine word is part of the issue. I don't know. What do you think? Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. I think clearly there's exceptions to the cause, um, but I just can't help but think it is something... A lot of men struggle with um and i just think it's i think a lot of it is down to upbringing so i do think you know those the much older generations have instilled that into them um and you know i do think it's that that culture of you know just um just get on with it just get on with it is what i, I always used to hear that whenever i'd kind of make a plea or make a hint towards that i was struggling it was kind of looked on comments it's nothing just get on with it and um now I, that's, I now, and that's significant isn't it yeah and that's yeah. not a gender thing that's a no. that's a that's an instructional thing isn't it and whether yeah. you know i've worked with some incredibly uh, you know aggressive female bosses who would say those sorts of things they would say yeah. man up grow a pair sort yourself out and they'd be saying that to women as well as men <laughs> ironically because it's a sort of style of management or a style of looking at the world where you where you fear weakness in other people isn't it because mm. they would have to deal with it mm. and uh, and and that makes that makes sense doesn't it yeah. so you you've obviously come across that yeah absolutely and i and i come across a lot of there's definitely a lot of judgment rather than compassion which is a shame i i think it's changing but a lot of, I've definitely, you know, I've, I don't know if you've seen myself on Instagram, but it is pretty out there stuff. It is, I'm really putting myself, with myself vulnerable. And um, 
when I try and talk about it in social situations or general situations, it is, I do get a feeling of judgment. And I do, I don't know whether that's a British thing or because we're quite crude in nature. Um, and it's kind of not frowned upon to speak about feelings, but it's that sense of where well, you're just burdening someone and people, it's kind of that taboo topic. Whereas um, I've spoken to other people in, in some European countries and it definitely seems to, ha they definitely seem to have a more compassionate attitude towards it. And that's really what I think underpins it all is people, people taking interest in caring for people that are making hints for help or pleas for help rather than, you know, that, that um, get on with it or man up culture, that kind of man up approach is very much kind of dismissive and judgmental. And I think that's got to change. Yes. Is it also true to say along with compassion should come empathy though? Because yeah, they're, absolutely. Yeah. So I think those two things are the sort of critical bit of resilience. And yes. you have to have compassion and empathy for yourself, but also for other people. And, and there is a place for man up. Sometimes, sometimes it is about getting through. Sometimes you just have to get through. But recognising that there has to be the down curve that comes after that, where the repair and renewal comes from. And there are some people who need to hear man up because that's either because of conditioning or whatever it might be, but because that's what's needed at that moment in time. And so sometimes we have to have the empathy to deploy what's necessary for that person, but not what works for us. And I think that's one of the challenges with this more compassionate modern approach, isn't it? We tend to mm. use the approach that works for us. And if we're more talky, feelings-y, such like, but we're dealing with someone who's much more rational, then you, you, have, to, you have to approach it from their perspective, otherwise, right. Otherwise you're going, otherwise you're actually exacerbating the problem which already exists in a funny sort of way. Yeah, right, right. I think your point about rationality is important because I do think there's probably, you know, there are situations where people, you know, get thrust into them and it's clearly not right for them. And there can be a, maybe an argument for character building. Um, but, yes. but I think to counter argue, to play devil's advocate to that, then there's clearly some people that aren't conducive to those types of environments. So is it necessary that they should be in them in the first place? I don't know. So, ah, but now, now we're violently agreeing because, um, um, because character building is great because, but it's building. You can't yeah. graft character onto people. Can you, you no. have to, you have no. to learn it. But the thing is you learn character through failing, learning and coming back, bouncing forward. Yeah. You know, not bouncing backward, that old idea. Well, exactly. And I think your point about the um, compassionate and the empathy coming into that, not, you know, not just saying man up to character build, to then not try and understand how that experience helps that individual. I think there's got to be, and I guess it's getting, we're now making it quite complicated than it shouldn't be. But um, I, I, yeah, I think there is a, I do think there is a point about the um, tone of how you position that man up in terms of, I don't know. Um, it should have an empathetic, compassionate undertone, whether it's afterwards yes. or before. You know, I, I do yes. think there's still a. Does that yes. make sense? I don't know. It makes it makes total sense. I mean, we we um, work in resilience, but we also work in leadership, and we advocate a style of tough love leadership, which is yeah, right. So, sometimes love. sometimes you need to sometimes you need to be tough, and that's about accountability. But you have to do the other side as well. And you'll know mm. if you've been in sales that one of the key things you have to do is you have to put yourself in your customer's shoes in order to be able to make a, build a relationship and build a sale. And it's, yeah. this, and it's the same skill for me in understanding other people. And the question which we frequently do not ask, which is, what can I do to help? Often falls on the ears of people who don't know how to help themselves. And there comes the challenge. And therefore, some people who don't, also don't have a skill set say things, the only thing they can say, which is what worked for them, which was, well, man up. And I often mm. think the, the challenge here is 
we're, we're teaching people to know what not to do, but we're really not being very clear in teaching people how to know what to do. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. We have the same thing in business at the moment where we have a, an organization that goes around showing people that everything in life is a mental health issue, but not everything in life is a mental health issue. Sometimes they're just mm. things. Sometimes, and we need to learn skills and processes to help to help us. And if you want to genderize it, that's a very male approach to a very what we're talking about is a very male problem, which then men can engage with and say, right, ah, right. If I'm a person that likes a toolkit, where's my toolkit? Yeah. <laughs> and if my toolkit is talking about my feelings, then that's great. Okay, so show me how that works. Well, how do I start? When do I do it? You know, if, you, if you're going to talk about that rationale approach, then we've, we've, got a, we've got something that men can practically engage with to say, right. I mean, what I'm really impressed about is your breathing thing. People underestimate the actual power of diaphragmatic breathing, particularly right. in anxiety, don't they? And we call yeah. it, we, and we, we'd wrap mindfulness and meditation and all that old blah around it but at the heart of it is exactly what you've said is rationality and breathing mm. yeah exactly exactly but i think those things yeah those things need to be those are definitely important but i think um, some other things that i've learned that underpin all of that is making sure that you have that you're consistent you're yeah. disciplined you're curious and you have an open mind i think um those are yes. four kind of key traits that i think underpin any endeavor um Great. because if you don't have an open mind you then won't be that receptive to change you're you know in my case i for a long time i was very stubborn and it took me a while to cultivate a mindset where, where i was a lot more inquisitive and a lot more curious about things that i would have otherwise dismissed and and um yeah just wouldn't have entertained was a, a legitimate choice that i could pursue that would help me um i'm really pleased you've said that i mean we they often talk about the four c's of resilience one which is compassion you've talked about uh and the other thing is the other thing you just talked about beginning with c yeah <laughs> <laughs> then we've only got the other two to go um yeah. <laughs> what should we which should be memory <laughs> cognition um no yeah. i think you're spot on so so how's your journey going for you now then so you're setting it's, up these pages better. tell me tell me how people can access these um these experiences that you're having so they can begin so to hook my in main one's you. instagram okay yeah, instagram is is my main one that's where i'm putting up a lot of videos a lot of static content I'm adding to my story every day. It's yeah. it's really a, a daily, almost like a vlog of what I'm getting up to, and but also being as vulnerable as I can around when I was in a bad way, how that felt, and trying to be as animated and as descriptive as I can with that. Because clearly, since doing it, people seem to resonate a lot with it, and um, I, I do think it's helping a lot of people, and it's creating kind of a safe and secure place for us all to talk about mental health without being judged. And I do think that's still a bit of a that's still early days. I do think the whole mental health topic is, is really moving forward, but I still think it's early days and having these pages, whether it's mine or whether it's who anyone else, that they can feel comfortable talking about their experiences as well. Brilliant. Okay, so walk us through how we find you then on Instagram. So it's, uh, I think the, um, let me just double check. I think it's... Um, fellas with three other feelings. Yeah, but I think it might be, I don't know whether it's, it is fellas with feelings, but I don't know whether it's the underscore. It is, um, it's fellas underscore. Is, yeah, with, yeah. yeah, right. Okay, you know better than I me. know, that's I should be your publicist. Fellas <laughs> underscore <laughs> with underscore feelings, feelings at Instagram. Yeah. And, um, and, and of course, people can sometimes find you under your name, Tom Simmons as well, which is great. And, and there's a ton of really useful stuff on. You're right, you do talk a lot about this. And I think, I think what's lovely, well, actually not lovely, it's inspirational what you're doing is you're sort of leading the way. I think there's nothing better than setting an example for someone. 
Mm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, I hope hope it is helping. Um, I'm just trying to be I, I'm just trying to be as candid uh, and as raw about it as I can, because I think, you know, with social media in general, it's a lot of people um, showcasing this superficial lifestyle to to kind of validate themselves in some ways. And actually, I think we need to see a growing um, number of accounts that just showcase the reality, you know, life in general yes. isn't great. And I think yes. social media hides all of that. And yes. it's really sad. So I'm trying to kind of trying to do away with that and just just show people what it's like, uh, what the reality looks like, rather than just showing my holiday snaps or me topless, whatever it might be, you know. Um, not that <laughs> that's a good image. But you know, oh, I've, got to live, I've got to live with that for the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. I think, I think it's, it's the most inauthentic media in, yeah, in which to be authentic on. And so you probably stand out by being true to yourself and such like. And that's great. Yeah. So last question. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I am good, actually. Um, I'm a lot better than I was. It was 15 months ago when it really got bad. And then um, I made all sorts of changes, which have uh, really helped me out. So um, it's still, a, you know, I'm still uh, on, on, the, on the course. But I can, before I couldn't see the horizon and now I can. So that's quite a nice, nice thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's, and it's, it's that thing about, you know, knowing where you're going is half the battle, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Sense of purpose. Tom, it's yeah. been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing your resource, your vulnerability, your experience, and some really interesting ways of thinking about things. And, you know, thanks so much for your time. No worries. Good to speak, Russell. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.